coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. How do I stop grieving somebody that's alive? It's my dad. He was uh, he was a border back when I was 14. He's alive, and I can see him, you know, once a year. And I know some people don't even get that, so I'm grateful for that. No, 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 no. Hey, hold on. Don't compare your grief to somebody else. What in the world is going on? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. So grateful that you've joined us. I know um, the one thing that many of us don't have is time. We don't have a lot of time. And you're choosing to spend an hour with me today, and I'm really grateful. Um, On the show, as you know, we talk about relationships. We talk about mental health and emotional health, whatever's going on in your life. School's starting. Your kids are doing wild things. uh, You're falling out of love with somebody that you care about. Whatever's going on in your world, my promise is I'll tell you the truth, and I'll sit with you in the mess, and we will figure out what the next step is. If you want to be on the show, give me a buzz at 1-844-693-3291 or go to johndeloney.com slash ask, A-S-K. Don't forget, I know I'm just like, beating this drum to death as though I'm like a slipknot drummer. My new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, a book not about how to deal with a panic attack. That book's been written. Not a book on how to, like, when I'm at the mall and I feel, at the mall, that's the oldest sentence ever. When I'm at the mall on my phone calling Blockbuster, right? Are you listening to, like, Tiffany (laughs) while that's happening? Running just as fast as we can, can, can. Yeah, no, not when you're at the mall, but when you're in an anxious moment. This book's not for you. That book has been written. There's some great books out there by Dr. Winnie Suzuki, Dr. Judd Brewer. They've written some great books on that. This book is stepping back and saying, hey, why why am I always stressed? Why am I always completely burned out? When I look around, why are my relationships all either on fire or they're in ash? How do I back out of this thing and do something different? This book is called Building a Non-Anxious Life, and it's about changing. For some of us, it's about changing one or two important things. For some of us, it's about changing everything. And what's different in this book is then my last one is this gives you a map. It gives you a roadmap to follow for you, for you and your partner, for you and your kids, whatever's going on. How do we build a non-anxious life? Let's reverse engineer this world we want to inhabit. And then the alarms do. They just quit ringing. Or they only ring when they need to. And that's that's important. Go to johndeloney.com and check that out. All right, let's run out to Indianapolis and talk to Alora. That's probably the raddest name of anyone on this show ever. What's up, Alora? Hey, what's up? Is that <laughs> Hey, what's up? Is, is your name Alora, really? Yes. Dude, what a beautiful, beautiful name. That's awesome. All right, so what's up? How can I help? So my first, like, main question is, how do I get my husband to see that, you know, being a stay-at-home mom isn't just an easy task of doing just simple things? What's your secondary question? Um, How do I get him to treat me more like a wife? and not just someone to communicate with when he wants sex. That is the question. So anytime somebody asks me, how do I get my husband to um, see me as a stay-at-home mom or someone who's working part-time and we've got three kids or whatever, um, I'm going to walk through like the temptations here and then we'll get to your question. Is that cool? I'm going to use this as like a moment to teach a little bit. Um, So... Like one, one idea is you can just go out of town for a week and just let him like stay at home and figure it out. Right. That happened to me early on. We only had one kid. 
And by day two, I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what time it was. (laughs) Like everything was just everywhere. And um, there was like Taco Bell wrappers growing out of the coffee table and stuff. It was just chaos. Um, So that's the temptation number one, right? Is I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. Temptation number two is um, I'm going to make you a minute by minute. I'm going to make you like a list of my things I do every day. And we're going to compare lists. You, what you do at work versus what I do here. Um, and we're going to do that. That's also a temptation. I don't think that's effective here because what you're talking about is honor and dignity and trust. It is not about, um, uh, strategy and calendar preparation. Okay. And your second question is the most important one. And I think your first question about how do I convince my husband that what I'm doing is actually hard Man, that's a way distant second question to how do I get my husband to treat me like a human being? Yeah. When did that start? It's been since our daughter was born. Before that, things were great. But after that, he just kind of, you know, threw me to the side. If he wants sex, he'll communicate. Otherwise, it's I'll ask him what he wants for dinner and it's I don't care or you know, he won't talk to me in person either. It's always through like Facebook messenger or through text. Like there's no actual communication between us. Okay. Two important things here. Number one, on one area, I don't fully believe you. Okay. And know that I'm on your team. Okay. Yeah. But this is, it's very, very rare that somebody flips a switch like this. He's probably been a jerk for a long time. Is that fair or no? Yeah. Yeah. Before kid, before baby? Yeah. Yeah. So why'd you end up with him? Uh, It was basically through being hurt, not having a dad growing up. And, you know, just I was on the verge of leaving him before our daughter was born, but... When I found out I was pregnant, I was like, I don't want my child to grow up without her dad like I did. Your daughter is growing up without her dad. He just happens to live in the same house. Your daughter's also getting a ringside seat into how a terrible human being treats a woman. A woman that he stood before his friends and his family and God and said, I do forever. And I'm not surprising you, though, right? I mean, you know this, right? Yeah. So you said you grew up without a dad. Was was growing up hard? Yeah, I was adopted. So I was basically raised in a family with medically fragile kids. Mm -hmm. I was the only one normal, you know, so I was kind of just left to myself most of my life. How old are you? 24. So we're going to have a real scary conversation. Is that okay? Yeah. Because I know you've thought this through, and my promise is I'm going to be honest, okay? This is the part when people listening to the show start yelling, just leave him. What are you doing? Why don't you just move out, right? Yeah. And that's the moment when the 24-year-old mom, who's been a stay-at-home mom, who's been beaten down her entire life, says, yeah, but how do I eat? And how do I pay rent? Where am I going to go? 
So my question for you is, where would you go? Probably back to New Mexico where my family is. Is that a safe place to go for a season to get your feet underneath you? Yes and no. I mean, I'm still kind of beat down by that side of my family. I always have been because I wasn't the, you know, the girly girl or the girl that went and got a degree in nursing to them like the rest of my family was or, you know. You do have a degree in nursing or you didn't get one? I didn't. Both my sisters and my mom did. Okay. All right. So you're taking a different path, and when you take a different path, it, A, it looks cool on Instagram, and B, in real life, taking your own path is hard, right? It's just harder, and that's cool. It's just yeah. it's just more of a struggle. Um, I'm going to go as far to say, based on what you're telling me about him, you are not in a safe position. Is that fair? Your home's safe? Yeah. My home is safe, yes, other than, you know, the... The fact that you live with a grizzly bear who... Won't talk yeah. to you? Yeah. So let me flip this around. Have you sat down and talked to him and said, hey, what happened? I've tried to, and he just says, oh, you know, basically that I'm making him sound like a monster. Yes. <laughs> he is a monster, Laura. I mean, yeah. tell me I'm wrong. Defend him if he's worth defending. No. Are you done with this? Yeah. You sound done. And you know one of my policies on this show is I never tell somebody to get divorced unless they're at uh, in, in, in physically or psychologically unsafe. Um, so I can't make that call for you. Yeah. But I do think it's really, really important that you get with a professional counselor, ASAP, to do a couple of things. Number one, you have to learn how to stand up on your own two feet. And you can. And I think you've got those skills because you had to do that growing up in a house where you were an invisible kid. And also, it's scary, right? Especially being a single mom. Two, you're going to have to get some wisdom and guidance on how to navigate this relationship, whether you try to save it again or you end up ending it. You're going to need somebody to walk alongside you, okay? Okay. I also know that stuff costs money, so I'm going to give you three months with my friends at BetterHelp for free, okay? Okay. And But you got to promise me that you'll use it. Yeah, I will. And that might only be a bridge to get you to a counselor in town, Okay. And, um, but you got to promise that you're going to do it and it can be weekly counseling that you can do via your phone. You can do on, on, um, the computer, right on zoom or whatever, however you want to set it up, but you got to promise me that you'll do it. Will you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Another thing I'm going to send you for your home, I'm going to send you, um, financial peace university and the every dollar app for a year. Here's why I'm doing that. Two things. Number one. I've seen it happen over and over and over again that talking about budgets forces couples to sit at a table. Sitting at a table may not be safe for you, and that's okay if it's not. But talking about money means you have to talk about what are our values and what do we want to do and what are our dreams and what kind of house do we want to live in and what kind of home do we want to have and what kind of vacations we want to go on. It forces you to have those conversations about values and goals and unification or parts where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm out. You have to come to the table on that and... My little end around here, 
is also it's going to give you some skills that you don't have about managing money, making money, how insurance and all that stuff works that you probably aren't aren't up to, uh, up to up to skill on. But it's going to give you some insights into what life would be like if you end up going back to New Mexico for a season. Okay. Okay. So hang on the line. I'm going to send all that stuff to you. In all, I need you to hear me walk away with this. Number one, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. It is. I, I don't blame any guy who just got married who's working really hard and he gets home because this happened to me. I'd get home from work and my wife would just hand me our kid. And she, by the way, she was working full time. So that just shows you what an ignorant moron I was. But she would just hand me the kid. And my first thought was, whoa, I just got home from work. You know how tired I am. That would be my first thought. That's just me being honest. And I learned over the, in short order, oh, my fatigue is pretend fatigue compared to what she's working through, right? It's not real. It, actually, it super was real, but it was we had to figure it out, right? So I'm not ever going to fault a guy for being like, well, what do you do all day? That's, a, that's an honest question that if we don't ask that question, then what happens is you end up being quiet about it. You end up getting building up resentment, and that's stupid. And that is different. That's a different question to, hey, what happens here all day is different than I don't talk to my wife. I just talk to her on Facebook Messenger like a child. I only contact her when I want sex. I don't interact with my ch- with my new baby. That has nothing to do with how do I convince my husband that I've got value, that I'm doing stuff during the day. I say this often on the show, and I'll, I'll end the call with this. Behavior is a language. So often we try to get people to talk to us and they don't talk. Or they don't have the communication, they, the ability to talk. We, we, we say, like, hey, will you sit down and talk to me? You sit down and talk to me. And really through their actions, they've been loud and clear. And in a situation like this, I can ask like, hey, I want to talk to that guy. See if your marriage is over. Or behavior is a language. He is being very clear. He has no interest in being married to her. He's interested in having someone to sleep with every once in a while. He's interested in having a a live-in housekeeper. He is not interested in being married or having a wife, doing life with somebody. Behavior's a language. I hate this for you, Laura. We'll be with you every step of the way. Call anytime. Uh, Please, please reach out to my friends at BetterHelp. Um, I got you for three months. Please reach out to them. Um, You're going to need somebody in your corner because it's going to be a long scary road but you got this we'll be right back almost every day whether i'm doing my red light therapy driving to work listening to the gregorian chants on the airplane or just sitting on my front porch i spend time using hallow my go-to app for music meditation and guided prayer And right now, I'm in a particularly stressful time, deadlines. I just finished a big speech in front of thousands of people, lots of travel. My family's ending school. It's just chaotic. And recently, I made a decision to dive even deeper into my faith and spiritual practices. And all of my life is up in the air, and Hello is helping me stay grounded. Hello is the number one prayer app on planet Earth. They have 10,000 audio-guided prayers, meditations, including daily prayers, daily gospel reflections, psalm readings, daily minute meditations. And there are places for people who are skeptical and new to the whole faith thing. And there are tons of spaces for those who have been swimming in faith waters for their entire life, and they just want to go deeper. 
stories, audiobooks, special things for kids, special focuses for mental and emotional health, so much more. And listen, in May, they're going to feature 33 Days to Morning Glory, which is a Marian consecration. And for listeners of The John Deloney Show, you get three months of hallow, all 10,000 plus prayers, meditations, music, all of it for free. Go to hallow.com for three free months of the app. That's hallow.com, H-A-L-L-O-W, Dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go out to Portland, Oregon and talk to Jose. What's up, Jose? How you doing? I'm good. Como estas? Bien, bien. Thank you for taking my call. You betcha, man. Uh, How can I help, brother? Yeah, so my question is, um, how do how do I stop grieving somebody that's alive? Oh, man, that's a heavy one. Tell me about it. So, basically, it's uh, it's my dad. He was uh, he was deported back when I was fourteen, so about fourteen years ago. And jeez, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of things happen, you know, from that point on, and you know, I'm I'm 29 now, and um, basically I have decided that it's time to work on my, um, depression. So, you know, he's in Mexico and, um, I talk to him, you know, weekly or, but it's been like this for so many years that our conversations are like a minute long. And, um, I only see him maybe once a year, if that, um, so he's, part of my life but at the same time he's not because um because he's not in my life anymore you know yeah and so does he does he want to be does he like the phone calls or are they getting awkward they're just i mean it's just so short it's like hey how are you doing good yeah um what are you doing going to work okay i'll talk to you tomorrow yeah and so i just feel like you know, I mean, I'm, he's alive and I can see him, you know, once a year. And I know some people don't even get that. So I'm grateful. No, 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 for no, that, no, 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 no. Hey, hold on. Don't compare your grief to somebody else. Here's why. A 14 year old little boy needed his dad and he got ripped out. And that 15 year old boy and that 18 year old boy and that 25 year old boy. And I'm telling you, I'm in my 40s and I still need my old man. Okay. There's no apologizing for that, brother. That's your dad. And when you say, I need to work on my depression, I get the sentiment, but I want you to be careful about that language because that suggests, like, I need to work on my engine of my car because my car's broken. Your depression, brother, comes naturally because your father got taken from your home when you were 14 years old. And so your body shut the system down so that the thing would keep operating, Right? It's like when your car overheats, it will turn itself off sometimes. Right. And so you're not broken, man. Your body's been trying to survive without the Padre for a long time. Are you a dad now? Yeah. How old is your kids? Uh, they're four and three. Okay. Uh, the reason I asked that is I was expecting there you'd have young kids. Here's why. As you... If you're like me, dude, 
when you had kid number one, it was kind of a whirlwind. You had kid number two. You start to feel your heart expand in a way that you didn't know was possible. And you realize the capacity for love that you didn't know was humanly capable, especially within your knuckleheaded chest, right? And then you start to think, oh, my dad felt that too. And then there's this, it's, it's like when you get older, you feel this different compassion for your parents because you realize they were hurting too. And they wanted to do it right and they messed up too. And they didn't know what day it was either. And the whole thing just gets messier and messier and bigger. This is called wisdom and it's called forgiveness and it's called just expansion. You're just going through a natural moment in your life. And if your dad was with you, it's when you start being like, all right, he just runs his mouth about politics. That's fine, but we're going to go get tacos anyway. He just runs his mouth about whatever. We're going to go, I'm going to take him out to dinner anyway. Because you have a different level of compassion. Challenge you have is you can't see him. When you say you get to see him once a year, do you go home to Mexico to see him? Right, yeah. How are those trips? I mean, it's, it's, they're quick, short. I mean, it's expensive. I can only take the, one of the kids. So it's just, it's a lot to go see him, basically. Like, it, I have to go through a lot to get down there. So it's not like, it's just quick and short. It's like a, over the weekend or, you know, maybe three days and then, you know, I'm back home. So it's, it's difficult basically. And then, you know, I, the last, I took my daughter, um, cause he, you know, she's two years old and he hadn't, he hadn't even seen her and, you know, she does, she doesn't know him. So she, you know, didn't want to be around him. Sure. You know, she didn't want to. And yeah, he just some old strange man. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. right. And so it's just, I don't know. It's just, and like I you know when I try to talk about the kids, I, I feel like he just uh, I feel like he shuts down. So, and I'll tell you this, brother, he has to. It doesn't surprise me at all. I say that he doesn't have to. That's not fair. He doesn't have to. But he lost his son fourteen years ago, right? And it doesn't it yeah. doesn't it doesn't it doesn't compute that he would open up his heart again for the chance to get hurt that bad again. It also isn't an excuse, right? Like he's, right. he's granddad. He, he, I mean, that's his job is to open up his heart humongous and let these little grandkids swan dive into it. But I get that it's hard, right? I get that. It's not an not, not excuse, but it's a context, right? So here, here's – I can give you a couple of nuts and bolts, man, but I think there's a, a – a, a, a 30,000 foot view of this that we need to take. But first, um, I think you don't grieve your dad. I think you grieve the picture of what you wanted it to be. Cause your dad's still there. It's awkward. It's weird. Those phone calls are kind of perfunctory. And in a weird way, he doesn't know you like he could have, because he hasn't seen you for 50. He hasn't like hung out with you and been like, I had a, a paternal role in your life for 15 years, right? So I get there's some awkwardness there. Um, so what we're grieving is not dad. Dad's there. We're grieving this picture that fathers and sons are supposed to be able to hang out together and have dinner together and bicker and complain with one another and challenge each other to arm wrestling matches and debate politics and roll their eyes. At, you know, that's, you're supposed to be able to do that. That's what I'm grieving that I lost all that, all that got ripped away. 
And then when I grieve that, then I can be about, okay, what's given the, the, the reality that I live in, I'm going to choose to live in reality. What can I make of this, this season? And that looks like this. And what I'm going to tell you is going to sound silly, but I've seen it work over and over. And it's pretty magical. If you kept a small little log, keep it on your phone and your notes app on your phone. But if you kept just a series of questions that when your kid does a thing, like, why do you do that? Or what do you think about this? Or you see something about Mexico on the news and you're like, I wonder what, if you kept a list of that. And every time you talk to your dad, there was some intention to that phone call, not just a, like we're punching our card, like phone call made, phone call answered. Goodbye. Like instead of that, but it was like, dad, my kid keeps doing X. Do you have any wisdom for me? Dad struggles so much with feeling like, why don't people like me? And for you to reach out and say, Hey, what do you think about this? I don't know a dad in the world that doesn't love giving wisdom. They often give it when it's not even asked for. But if a kid comes and asks his dad, Hey, what do you think? God, dude, that's just like a gift. And so do you need that wisdom? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But man, A, you'll give, you're, 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 you're putting oil in the engine of that relationship. You're giving him something to think about between calls. He may go look up something. He may go have some conversations at home. And this is not going to be the conversation, that, I mean, the relationship that you wanted, the one where you hug him and you'll have dinner together once a week. But it is going to be a different version of what you have now. And maybe down the road, you say, hey, can you do FaceTime with me? I want to see your face. And it might be completely new. Maybe I've done that. Maybe you haven't. But it's you being vulnerable. And he might say, no, it's too hard for him. Okay. So I actually have been thinking about asking him, you know, just questions like that. But I don't know. I guess I just hold back just because I feel like he's just going to shut down. He, he might get personal. He might, but also this, if you reach out and say, Hey, 14 years ago, you got ripped from my life. I miss you. And now I've got my own kids and I need you. And I know it's hard. And maybe you write this in a letter and send it to him, but I'm entering into a season where I need my dad. I've needed my dad for 14 years, but I really need him now. I need a partner in this and we can't see each other all the time. I don't have the money to come down all the time, whatever. But can we, can I, can I ask you some questions on the phone? Can we talk? Can we connect in that way? Can I, we FaceTime with me once every two weeks and dude, dads are awkward on the phone. I'm the worst. I'm awkward on the phone. My kids don't like talking to me on the phone. They're just like, all right, dad. Like, cause I, <laughs> I it just is, I, I wish I could be adventurous on the phone, but I'm not. Um, so I wouldn't expect this to just feel like a warm hug. Cause it's not, it's a cheap substitute, but at least it's a substitute. And then I think long-term, the 30,000-foot view I was talking about is you have to ask yourself over time, how do I reverse engineer the life I want versus the one I'm living? What does that mean? Is Portland, Oregon the place for us long-term? Or can I move south and be closer to the border, closer to home? Is that possible? Is there another job I could take? Is there a, a different training I could get over time so that I can potentially reconnect our families? You might not want to do that. I packed up and moved a thousand miles away from my family. 
right? So it doesn't, not out of anger or anything, but it, it, it isn't always practical. That isn't always the solution for everything. But at least it's you asking the broader question, how valuable is this relationship to me? What do I need to do to bring it closer, given the reality that we're in? He's not allowed back in the States. And on and on that way. And, but you begin to take some ownership of it. And then when you decide, no, Portland, Oregon is a place for my family. It's where we've got roots. It's where my wife is from. It's where my job is, all that. This is where we are. Then you're owning reality. You're choosing to be where you are. And there's some peace to that. It still hurts, but there's some peace to that. It doesn't feel like you are being jerked around by the government that took your dad away, by the politicians over here, by the economics over here. I make some choices. I'm choosing to live here. I'm choosing that. And so this part of this is about gaining ownership back. That's hard to do, man. All that to say, I don't know that you grieve your dad here. I think you grieve the situation. I think you grieve the picture of what should have been. A granddad with his two little grandkids just sitting on the front porch in a rocket chair, being fat, being loud, complaining about stuff. And he's not. He's thousands of miles away. That hurts, man. And then I think you reach out, you write that letter to dad and say, it's been 14 years and I need you. Are you in? That's a scary letter to write, brother. But I think he's worth it. I think you're worth it. And I think your kids have my granddad's worth it too. Thank you for the call, my man. We'll be right back. One of the most common questions I get on my show is how do you get something off your chest? Maybe it's a deep secret that you've never told anyone, or maybe it's something that happened to you. Or maybe it's something you've done and you're deeply ashamed about it. You're worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption in every part of your life. All of us, every single one of us have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this always, secrets will kill you. But it's often so hard to know where to start or even how to say these things. Therapy is a safe and effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud, and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get these heavy things off my chest and figure out what to do next. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time, and it doesn't cost any extra money. Listen, it's time to get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go out to Orlando, Florida and talk to Mary. What's up, Mary? Hi, good morning. It's an honor to speak with you. The honor's all mine. What's up? Well, um, I have kind of a tough question. Um, So should, and if so, how, can I be a friend to someone who is willingly staying in an abusive marriage to a sexual predator? One that has intentionally hurt some of our mutual friends, do I lean in or do I lean out? Same question. Whew, that's a good one. Um, it's a good one, but I think it's a fairly simple answer. Tell me what you're struggling with. Sure. So I'm part of a tight-knit group of friends. Um, a year ago, we were all on vacation together with our families. 
one of the husbands cornered one of the single moms in the group um, and exposed himself to her. And then several other women of the group admitted that he had also been touching them inappropriately that day, but they were like so shocked and scared. They didn't know what to do immediately. Sure. Um, So this all happened while his wife was in the next room, usually taking care of the baby. And then, um, so he was kicked out immediately. Um, And then it turns out this wasn't an isolated event. (laughs) So yeah, this um, this never happens like, Ta-da! It never works like that. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it was shocking to the rest of us, but like, of course it's like, you know, um, so a separate victim decided to come forward after that, someone completely separate. And then, so ultimately his wife decided to stay with him and try and make the marriage work. Did the, did the, then, did, did your friends, uh, press so, charges? See in jail? So she attempted to, the, the problem was there was like, you know, because there wasn't any physical, they weren't children. It was his, his word against hers. They just decided to not pick it up. So the like DA the, rejected it. Yeah. Well played DA. It well was, played. Idiots. It's a point. <laughs> All yeah, right. So sure. on to the next. Okay. So then something else happened. Yeah. So several months later, he did it again. This time to someone they employed another single mom. We know. Um, and again, his wife decided to stay. So Did she press charges. I, I, so that yes, she attempted to as well, and they rejected it again. So there's multiple. Reports. Does he know somebody at the DA's office? I, you'd be amazed. I called the DA's office. I'm not joking. Every single day for weeks. Good for you. Every single day. Good for you. Um, but. <sighs> They have bigger fish to fry, I guess. No, so. they their their job is <laughs> to was, get sexual predators off because this escalates. This behavior doesn't stay static. This I behavior agree. moves, and it goes from exposure to touching, like it did in that house. And I promise you, there's a wake of women this has happened to. That, like you said, you said it perfectly. It's so shocking that this happens when your buddy's like right next door and her husband's right here that it shuts your body down in a way that's unnerving. You think like, I would never shut me down. It does. It just shuts you down, man. And it's, 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 geez, Louise. No, this is their job. This is the fish that they need to be frying. But okay. So tell me what you're struggling with. Well, because, you know, I feel like she's being his wife, right? I feel like she's being manipulated and emotionally abused by him. I feel like she is. I feel like she is opting out of your friendship circle. Mm. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. And you can get inside her head and try to insert yourself into her marriage, into what's going on behind closed doors. She knows. She knows. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or here's the other thing. She is calling her best friends in the world complete and utter liars. Oh, no, she knows it's true. He, uh, he admits it. Yeah, yeah. then... <laughs> Good God Almighty! Then yes, yeah. She, I mean, he just tells her like, "Oh, I'll never do it again." No, no, I'm she is she's opted out. She has opted out. Here's why: um, yeah. if somebody's struggling with addiction, I have mm-hmm. some counterintuitive. Um, I tend to think uh, addiction is a connection disorder. So mm-hmm. my friends who struggle with with addiction, I re, I lean in. I don't give them money unless we're working mm-hmm. towards a specific thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like it, it's not willy nilly, but I lean into that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when somebody is with a sexual predator, someone's unsafe, someone's gonna going to enact violence in our community, they're out. Mm -hmm. They have opted out. Like I said earlier, behavior is a language. They are choosing to leave. And I would tell her, we no longer are, speak for yourself, I no longer can be in relationship with you connected to this guy. Yeah. And you get to draw that boundary. And she gets to say, oh my gosh, you're abandoning me. You're the worst. He said it would never happen. But great, cool. Whenever you put up a boundary, the people who you are putting up the boundary against will come bang on that boundary as hard as they can to see if it will hold. Yeah. And as for me in my house, I don't hang out with sexual predators. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you, I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think my heart's just broken. It, th know? That, that to me sounds more realistic. I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know. <laughs> I think it's just I living with I'm, the fact that like, this is my best friend and this well, is. Well, I have this conflict because I have this foundational principle that I do not let my friends do hard things alone. And so I'm. Okay. But let me tell yeah. you where that falls in on itself. Yeah. She didn't ask you. <laughs> and so I don't let my friends do hard things alone if they ask me. Yeah. But I can't insert myself into their life if they clearly don't want me there. Mm -hmm. That's true. And so what you're trying to do is play God in her house and she's saying, I'm good. Yes. And so what you have to do is take control of your life. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. <laughs> that's so heartbreaking. You said it best. I love the heartbreak. That's the greatest word for it. Yeah. Because your friend doesn't want your help. She doesn't want your wisdom. She doesn't want your advice. She doesn't want anything to do with it. She wants to go on and pretend that everything's great. And I just have a little rapey husband, but it's okay. Yeah. Horrible. I feel terrible for their child. I feel terrible for everybody involved. I'm disgusted by the police response. One, fine. He said, she said, fine. Five people in the same house over the same weekend gets real sketchy. Then the next mm -hmm. person a few weeks later says, hey, this happened too. Nah, now nah, I'm losing faith in you. Mm -hmm. Can I have a, do, I, do you have time for a follow-up question? Yeah, follow up, bring it. So one thing I'm just really hitting my head against is this perspective that she has that like he has no control over this because he's a sexual addict. Bull crap on a stick, on a pony, in a box, out on the beach somewhere. That's not true. <laughs> Great. Thank you. No, it's I mean, absolutely not. I nonsense. have no problem keeping my pants on, so, you know, I don't get it, but it's just, <laughs> you know. Um, Here's the deal. I, I know, I know I've sat with people who struggle with all sorts of forms of sexual addiction. It happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I will even go as far to say, especially initially, the impulse is very hard to control. It's real. The, the, the kind of like uh, you have to sneeze and you can't sneeze. Or I've, uh, I got diagnosed with OCD long ago. Like I need to blink or I start counting things. It's hard when I catch myself and I have to stop. Okay. That's hard. I feel it. it it's almost like a pressure that builds up. Um, and that is no excuse to destroy the lives of other people. So it becomes your job, if that's your impulse, to go get the care and help you need so you stop hurting community members. And if you won't, it's the police's job. It's our community's job to say, you, you have exited out of our community. You are no longer allowed to be a part of this community because you keep violating people's sexual boundaries. That's how that goes. And so I will go with her as far as he can't control the impulse. It's, a, it's, a, it's internal. 
And that's where that ends. Because he can control his behavior, period. He can go get help, period. He can say, I won't be around any other people until I get this under control, period. He can go check himself into a rehabilitation clinic, period. And he's choosing not to. He's choosing to let everybody else in his community, all these other women um, who are a part of his life through his wife, through his being on his child, um, they get to pay the price for his cowardice and his, his unwillingness to go get well, period. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I made myself clear enough on, <laughs> on that or not. <laughs> I, 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 have, I have so little patience for sexual predating. I, predators. I, I, um, in several of my mentors, like my professors, um, went and were, were lic- are licensed in working with behavioral sex um, uh, folks who struggle with sexual behavior disorders. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. and so I get it. It's hard. It's a nightmare. And it is not permission. I, I mean, I can't imagine walking into a room of my wife's friends and thinking, you know what I really feel like doing right now is taking my pants off. Like, I can't imagine that. I, I sympathize with somebody who that's, that's their body is like, do it, do it, do it. And you can't do that. You got to yeah. go get help. Well, and it's also very predatory behavior of like who he chooses. Of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. And there's a real big power play to do that oh, when yeah. your wife's in the next room. She's, like, what yeah, are you going to do? She's in the house every time. Oh, you're going to blow the weekend up? You're going to make a big deal in front of her? And your yeah. body goes, just shuts down. And then that power, I win. I got it. Right? Uh, I'm not having that, dude. No way. No way. But I, I, I want to honor you. This is hard. Cause you're losing your good friend. I also have to say, I don't want to talk crap about your friend, but I'm going to going to, um, at this point, she has to begin to shoulder this. She's choosing to bring a sexual predator into these situations. She's choosing to make excuses for a sexual predator. And that makes her complicit. Mm-hmm. That makes her a part of it. Yeah. That's my struggle. Yeah. I found out some hard things about a friend of mine recently. Um, not anything like this. Um, and it messed me up, messed me up. They just weren't who I thought they were and, um, nothing illegal or anything like that, but they weren't who I thought they were. And it, it hurt, man. I had to sit with that. I think I tried to make excuses. Like I'm trying to stop, stop. Yeah. Because what happens when you do that, you compromise you. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to that one moment when she's like, I know he's had, I know he promised he won't do it, but I need him here at this thing. Is that cool? And you're like, fine. And that happens again. Mm-hmm. That's how that happens. So this is the season when you grieve it like mad, weep, cry, be angry, be frustrated. And then I think you have to go do the right thing. And I continue, I applaud you for calling the DA's office. I think you continue to bang the drum as loud as possible, all the time, all the time, all the time. Reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out. You hear any inkling this happened again, I'm calling everybody. Any inkling this happened again, I'm calling everybody. If I see him with a group of women or I see him with a group of kids, I'm calling it, calling it out loud. Ugh, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Hate this for you, hate this for everybody. Hate this for her, hate this for him, hate this for everybody. I hate it. I'll say this to you listening. 
If you are in a relationship, whether you're close friends, you're in a romantic relationship with somebody who is a sexual predator and you're making excuses for them, you are um, not encouraging but allowing their behavior. You're believing the third and fourth and fifth and sixth time, it won't happen again, it won't happen again, it won't happen again. You are part of the problem. Nothing changes until we change. And yes, I recognize this blows up everything. You didn't blow it up. The sexual predator in your life did. All you're doing now is acknowledging the explosion of everything. But as a community, as a guy with a wife, as a guy with a little daughter, I want us all, like my buddy Sean Ryan, man, he's, he's, we've had some, some conversations about the sexual predator stuff I didn't even know was out there. That kind of crap stops when we stop it. Period. Period. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, we're back as we wrap up today's show. It was a hard one, man. It was a hard one. A couple of calls. I'm going to have to go just go sit and stare at a wall for a little bit. Uh, Or I could call a friend like I tell you guys to do all the time. Um, As we wrap up today's show, we thought we'd go back. So around the office, um, this is like known just throughout the whole company as Kelly's theme song, just for her life. And um, so I thought I would share it with you. It's a song by the band Lit. And the song's called My Own Worst Enemy. And it goes like this. This is a favorite song that she sings a lot. Like, it's, it's very autobiographical. Can we forget about the things I said when I was drunk? I didn't mean to call you that. I can't remember what was said or what you threw at me. Please tell me. Please tell me why my car is in the front yard. I'm sleeping with my clothes on. I came in through the window last night and you're gone. It's no surprise I'm my own worst enemy. (laughs) Your poetry is so good, Kelly. And I'm glad you got royalties off writing this song. That's good. No. I wish. I wouldn't be sitting here. (laughs) I love you guys. Bye. Stay in school.